Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind welcomes George C. Fraser back to the spotlight. He has a great wings program on financial literacy. You know, George Fraser, he's been featured in uh, CNN and Upskill Magazine, Black Enterprise, and uh, he is a visionary for black literacy in America. His Power Networking Conference is happening July 5th through the 7th in Baltimore this year. George and I are coming at you right now. George Fraser, welcome. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for having me back on. And uh, it's a beautiful day here in Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know what it's like where you are. Maybe it's it's raining. <laughs> I don't know. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful summer day here in Atlanta. And um, I'm out here with um, a business conference, and it's just gorgeous outside. That's great. Great. Well, it's good to hear your voice. Thank you so much for being back. We always um, enjoy you talking about not only generational wealth, but how to build our wealth. And um, today we have many different groups talking about the Buy Black movement and opening your accounts with black banks. I wanted you to refresh our audience's memory on why this is so important, and especially right now with the economic uh, downturn, because we really haven't gotten out of 2018, uh, 2008. Yeah, we haven't gotten out of 2008 uh, with the economic downturn. Yeah, and, and the economic downturn, because we were targeted with these high-interest loans, really impacted black people disproportionately, uh, and certainly in terms of home ownership, we lost in that in that economic downturn about fifty billion with a B dollars of wealth, uh, collective wealth in our community because of the housing crisis. So we are still clawing our way and climbing back. And uh, of course, the statistics uh, are not good uh, as it relates to economic development and wealth creation, and there have been all kinds of articles. Uh, you can just go on Google and, and put in uh, you know, the black-white wealth gap, and there'll be uh, you know, 100, 200 articles that will pop up that has basically said that we have made little or no progress uh, in economic development, relatively speaking, in the last 50 years. That's five Zero. So um, we are still at the bottom of every single economic statistic that matters in America. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have to now do something radical. Radical. We have to think outside of the box. We have to connect the dots. We have to, uh, you know, really rally around, uh, you know, the, the collaborative initiative that allows us to uh, leverage our collective resources uh, and intellectual capital, because unless we do something, all the statistics uh, are harrowing, quite frankly. Uh, uh, you know, there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal that said that financial illiteracy was an American problem. And we know that when white folks catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. 
right? So if financial illiteracy is an American problem, it's ten times the problem in the black community. So we have to do something. So I'm going to say this next thing and still be loved by uh, your listening audience, and that is white folks will not be saving black people. It has been 400 years, and we ain't saved economically. In fact, white folks are not even thinking about black people. Um, do you know who white folks are thinking about? They're thinking about white folks. They're thinking That's about right. their children, their husbands, their wives, their neighborhoods, their schools, and their businesses, and our pockets. That's what they're thinking about. God bless them, because I wish that black people were thinking about black people first. I wrote a book 25 years ago, Success Runs in Our Race, a Complete Guide to Effective Networking in the African American. American community, and I begged black people 25 years ago that we must think race and culture first, but not only, but not only. Right? I have a good white friend who said to me not long ago, he said, Dr. Fraser, I understand what black people's problem is. I said, oh, really, Bob? What might that be? He said, oh, you guys spend all your time thinking about us, and we don't spend any of our time thinking about you. So if you ain't thinking about you, and we damn sure ain't thinking about you, who's thinking about you? Well, I had to do a Holy Ghost stance. I was speechless. I had nothing. I had no report. <laughs> so we have to man up and woman up and think outside of the box, think radical, and rally our resources and intellectual capital uh, and do something, you know, do something, you know, just uh, disruptive. And, and and treat the addictions, uh, the bad addictions around money that we have. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and, and and begin down the intergenerational path of making sure that uh, that the Fortune magazine article that came out uh, last year uh, was fueled by the Institute of Policy Studies. Very very interesting article. And here's and I'll just do a very quick quote from the article. It said by and I quote uh, by 2053, just 10 years after the country is projected to become majority non-white, black median families will have own zero wealth if current trends continue. Twenty years later, Latino families will follow suit. White median wealth families, uh, might, well, I should say white median families, will continue to own six figures. Six figures, 247500 So we will be broke in economic and financial slavery, and they will have a median family wealth. White families will be about a quarter of a million dollars. So, uh, the shots have been made across the bow. The flares have been shot up uh, into the light. Uh, and uh, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. I, I don't know if you saw the Boston Globe front page article that came out in December, late uh, December of last year. Very interesting front page article about black Bostonians and their money. Now, you know that Boston is one of the richest cities uh, in America. Uh, it is the home of elite education uh, in America, the home of Harvard and MIT and Sarah Lawrence and Boston College and Boston University uh, and Bryn Mawr uh, University. Um, and here was the headline in the Boston Globe. It was so egregious that even the Boston Globe had to qualify the headline. And I quote wow. the headline. I'm looking at the newspaper. Here it is. 
This is no typo. The median net worth of black Bostonians really is $8. But white's net worth is $247,500. That's the Boston Globe. Right. Now, remember, this was 2017. Right. When black Bostonians, on average, are worth eight dollars, but according to Fortune magazine and the Institute of Policy Studies, in an article p- published in September of last year, which I just wrote read to you uh, a quote from, it said it would be twenty fifty three when we had no money. Right. Well, black Bostonians are about twenty five years ahead of the program. Mm-hmm. Right? So, they are. There is no one that is going to save us but us. And, um, you know, as I said before, it's been 400 years and we ain't saved. And in the last 50 years, according to all of the statistics, relatively speaking, we have made little or no progress. In fact, economically, we have gone. Do you think the integration has uh, hurt us in that? It has it has helped yeah. and hurt. Okay. It's a double-edged sword. No question about that. Because one of the four pillars for the intergenerational trans- transfer of wealth is business development, business ownership. And we certainly demonstrated when white folks would not bury us, when they would not let us bank with them, when they would not let us shop with them, when they not, would not let us eat in their restaurants, when we couldn't buy clothing in their stores, we were able to uh, provide all of those things for our own, right? We built some right. of the, the richest uh, communities, uh, you know, the Black Wall Streets, if you will, uh, uh, in America. And um, we demonstrated to others that we could provide the products and services that we needed. When integration came along, we abandoned uh, that whole notion of entrepreneurship. Uh, We pivoted on a notion that my father and mother uh, 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 put into us, and that is uh, you must get a good education and get a good job. Um, well, that might have been the proper idea at that time because they couldn't get a good education and get a good job in the early 1900s. But that's not what I've taught my two sons. I've taught them to get a good education and to create a job. Create a job for themselves, create a job for their children, and if God gives them the power and the glory to create work and jobs for our people. So we have to change the mantra, which means we have to change the mindset. Right? Uh, We... We have to do something radical. Certainly government uh, and social reform uh, could, can uh, and will over time contribute to closing that gap because there are some institutionalized and systemic um, biases uh, in, in, the, in the social structure and systems of this country, but there always has been for us for 400 years, uh, if it wasn't slavery, uh, for 250 years it was black codes and Jim Crow laws, right, for another 100 years, so the system has always been stacked against us, and certainly it is the stacking against us of the system that has put us 
uh, on the one-yard line uh, when everybody else, white folk in particular, uh, were on the 50-yard line. Right? So we're trying to catch up, um, and uh, we're trying to do it uh, uh, when fundamentally we are illiterate about money. Because you cannot be illiterate about money in a market-based economy in a democratic capitalistic society, right? Uh, you will end up in economic and financial slavery. So we have a choice. This is what I'm saying. That's This is the net. I don't mean to sound all, you know, angry and complicated, but black people are now faced with a choice, Right, we have mm-hmm. a little bit of time, and we must choose financial literacy over financial illiteracy. We must choose that. That's a conscious choice that we have to make. No one can make this choice, but each of us. Individually, so I will paraphrase a dangerous thing that Kanye West is being raked over the coals about, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, four hundred years of slavery. Well, that sounds like a choice." Well, he was historically had no context. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that was not a choice. Okay, right. That was forced uh, labor. Right, um, right. but now. We have a choice. And now we have some time. The question will be, will we make the right choice or end up in financial slavery? That's the question. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> right? That's really, it's definitely, you, 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 you're, you're spot on. Uh, you mentioned early that um, we had to provide for ourselves, um, I'd, I'd say, you know, at least until integration hit. And uh, my people were, were uh, my grand people own businesses and very prosperous businesses, not only in entertainment industry, but cab okay. companies, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look at the drop-off of black businesses in the generations from, say, generation, late generation X, millennial, post-millennial. They don't really know black business. They don't know we had black banks, and they don't know that we own not only the Apollo, but the uh, Howard right. and the Regal mm-hmm. and the Royal and you know, mm-hmm. the family. They don't know that. Mm, they don't. That's right. They have no sense of that history. They look at that and think it's just sort of old school, old fashioned, right? Uh, they right. see no glamour in it. Uh, there is no instant gratification in uh, owning a, a neighborhood grocery store, a neighborhood barber shop, a neighborhood beauty salon, a neighborhood funeral parlor. Uh, uh, you know, selling you know a neighborhood bank. They see no glamour in that. They see no instant gratification in that. So they have shunned that um, and, 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 and pla- put in place. Um, Something that they thought they could have, but has, but it has ended up that it is far more difficult 
to get into what looks more glamorous, which is um, uh, the uh, equity and ownership, the ownership of something that that's much more work. Right. Uh, certainly, technology is a uh, is a frontier, but that's much more work, much more education. Uh, you have to be mathematically and technically bent, um, and you have to have business models who are celebrated, just as our athletes and entertainers are, and we don't have that. Right? Mm-hmm. So right now we're in a state of confusion. And what I'm hearing from young people that in spite of the fact that they did what white people told them to do, they got their college education, but they are still having problems finding jobs or meaningful jobs or living wage jobs. Right? Um, or stable. Because, yeah, stable. <laughs> mm-hmm, something stable. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, So I'm not saying that... Getting a college education wasn't profoundly important. It was it's for this generation. It was as important for them to do that as it was for us to get a high school education. All right? I, I was born in 1945, so the the big thing back then was a high school diploma. Right uh, now, college was for the wealthy black folk, the certainly the middle to upper middle class black folk, right? But the right. most important thing was a college was a high school diploma. And if you got that as a black person back in the fifties, forties, fifties, uh and and uh, and into the sixties, uh during my formative years, uh, you were employable and there was lots of work for you to do. Right? Um so so uh so you know that that's you know that's the, the the conundrum that you know that our younger generations are facing. So you you couple that with financial illiteracy, the improper management of money, right? Because they mm-hmm. had no proper models, no proper training. Uh, they're not alone. That to be most of America, but it's just far more. Uh, 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 prevalent in our community and culture uh, that we now have to work on fixing that. And that's what, uh, that's my final act in life uh, is to come up, uh, to have come up with a radical idea and a radical system to address the enormous levels of financial illiteracy that exists in our community. Mm-hmm. You are talking about educating African Americans and the traditional um, educational system that we have. Even if you do go to college, you're not going to get a professor who knows about creating or having a job because they're teaching. They know how to teach, but they just don't know how to do. My people, you know, work. My grandpeople work. Yes. My, my father had a. My father was a cab driver, but he owned the medallion in New York. That was huge yeah. back then. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know they they know they they, they owned my grandpeople and great grandpeople. They knew how to you know manipulate the system and, and work with the black community, and it was just a different thing. So it's my generation where the education and supporting of African Americans. Uh, you know, happened, really, because uh, I'm in that millennial bunch. What can we do outside the traditional education system? 
Um, you have he didn't to learn. P. Diddy did not learn how to do what he's doing now at Howard University. No way. <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't. No, no question about that. In fact, P. Diddy, he even admits he partied mostly at Howard University. Right? <laughs> um, it was a social animal. Because he knew and, how to and, throw them and he knew how to monetize. He, that's right. He knew how to monetize them. Exactly right. And, and he knew how to make, as you said, knew how to make money doing it. And he just extended his reach and extended his portfolio in the whole world of entertainment. So from being an entertainer to throwing parties to producing others who could do the same. And he ended up being, in fact, a music mogul when he made his wealth in music. He then uh, and, and made his brand uh, in music and, 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 and heightened the value of his name uh, in music. He then extended that to endorsement, right? So from vodka to clothing, you, you name it, right? So uh, that he had really good business instincts, but uh, that is what we have to do. We have to, for those brothers and sisters who got a good education but have no job, um, they have to do three things. Get in where you can fit in, where there's somebody doing something, and hopefully they look like you, but even if they don't look like you, get in where you fit in that uh, uh, that can lead to the basic business building skills necessary uh, to uh, uh, to to start your own, right? Because at some point in time, you're going to learn all you need to learn. You're going to pivot out of that, and then you're going to start your own, right? Now that's that's a um, b. Uh, think deeply about what gives you the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, and the greatest satisfaction. That, in fact, is the essence of your purpose. What would you do if you knew you could not fail, right, and earn the money you need to earn? What 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 might that be? You wouldn't fail at it. You could earn the money that you you you, you know you need, but you you know you it gives you fulfillment, joy, and satisfaction. What is that thing? Now that may take you three or four or five or six. Attempts at things. It took me six, right? I had six jobs, right? Now, each of them I stayed in, in I, I did with excellence, and I stayed in them enough time that I learned, so I got bored. And I knew that when I got bored, I had learned everything I could learn doing that. It was time for me to move on, right? But right around the sixth job, experimenting and learning, Right, I said, wow, this is where I want to be. This is what I really love. I can do this all day and all night. I could do, you know, I could do this, you know, 15 hours a day. I'd never get bored, yada, yada, yada. And that's where I landed, right? Now, that was at 42 years old, right? So from, let's say, 16, when I had my first job, to 42 was all experimental, all learning, uh, all jobs that provided me a living, not a great living, but a living, right? It, it allowed me to get mentored. It allowed me 
to uh, save and earn and save money. It allowed me to build relationships uh, that I could, you know, bond and cultivate and have uh, for the rest of my life. Right. So that's that was number. Two and at forty-two, I did. I just sort of headed out on my own. Now, one job I had for thirteen years, right, and the others I had for three or four years. So I'm saying it did not. It may sound like a lot of years, but but if if if, if you get placed properly, there are a couple that you're going to want to stay, um, and then a couple that you you'll stay too long. Um, but 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 that's okay. That's just part of life. Um, so that would be number two that I would recommend. Uh, try to get in where you can fit in. If, you know, if, if, for example, if you like, if you think you're like cutting hair, then work in a barbershop and sweep the floor if you have to. Just get in where you can fit in. And eventually you'll get into the position that you want to get in. Right, and I can right. tell you endless stories of people who started in mail rooms and ended up presidents of companies. Right, so get in where you can fit in. And I think the third and final thing that I would recommend is um, get in the habit of reading. You know, that's a lost art, but get in the habit. Of reading for one simple reason, it makes you a more interesting and and, and conversational person. And the more interesting you are, the better your conversation, the better your your, your vocabulary. Um, the more places that will that will like you, right? Simply because you you have a good conversation. You have a variety of interests. You can talk about something more than sports or the weather. Amen. Uh, yes. Amen. You're right. You, you know what I mean. You, you can. Mm -hmm. and, and, and 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 with that, you can work in teams and you can work well with people. Right. So getting mm -hmm. the habit of reading, not just watching television or looking at stuff on social media or even reading on social media. No. I would say minimally, especially for a black person, you should be reading one book a month. The average American reads one book a year. If you read one book a month, within five years, you will have read 60 books, and the average American will have only read five. You're going to be more interesting. You're going to be better prepared. Right, um, you are you, you you know you, you're going to be an attractive uh, human being, and that's what you want. So get in the habit of reading. Find out, think about, try things, uh, so that you can ultimately land on what is it? What are the characteristics? of the things that you would like to do with your life. That's a journey. You know, there are very few people who are born and they're three years old say, I want to be a fireman, and they end up being a fireman, <laughs> right? Or I want to be a doctor, and they end up being a doctor, right? Or I want to be a concert pianist, and, and they end up being a concert you know, Yes, that happens. If you're fortunate right. enough to be one of those, God bless you, right? But... Right. Um, 
most of us have to find that, which means we experiment. And the sooner we can get to work, the more things that we can engage in and do, right, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the faster we will get there. Amen. Amen. You have educational programs, and you've done your FraserNet now for over 30 years now, right? Oh, yeah. FraserNet is 31 years old. Connect, grow, and prosper. Connect, grow, and prosper. So at the conference, the Power Networking Conference of Prince George's County in the Greater Washington, D.C. area at the Gaylord Hotel, July 4th, 5th, and 6th, and 7th, uh, we will be announcing something brand spanking new. Uh, for 31 years, the company has been named FraserNet, Connect, Grow, and Prosper. We are going to evolve, and uh, going forward, we are going from FraserNet to Fraser Nation, Citizens of Generational Wealth is the theme, and the wow. three operative words are excellence, equity, and entrepreneurial thinking. So Beautiful. if you want to be a part of our nation... Excellence is your base. Amazingness is your ceiling. Equity, uh, which simply means ownership, right? Because we don't mm-hmm. own nothing, right? So we want to focus right. on ownership, right, going forward. And entrepreneurial thinking is taking responsibility and taking ownership uh, in the things that you do in life, which will all lead to... Owning your own business. Taking wow. responsibility and taking ownership. See, we don't, we don't talk about that. That's not a part of the cultural lexicon. Right? Now, perhaps mm-hmm. taking responsibility, but taking ownership? No. No, no. Well, 96% of black people are employed. 60% of the 96% are employed either by local county, state, or federal government, right? Mm-hmm. So we, you know that the, the old saying in our community used to be, I want to get me a good government job, mm-hmm. right? Well, that does not lead to the intergenerational transfer of wealth. No. Right? no. So until we start thinking equity and ownership and entrepreneurial thinking, we will always be at the bottom of the economic ladder in America. Asians have surpassed us, right? And we came over here on the Mayflower. We own the fewest number of homes per capita uh, of any cultural group in this country, and we came over here on the Mayflower. We own the fewest number of businesses of any cultural group in this country per capita, and we came over here on the Mayflower. Right? These are two of the four pillars for the intergenerational transfer of wealth. In addition to that, we have an addiction that no other cultural group has at the level in which we have. And that addiction is our addiction to instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is why we, uh, this is one of the reasons we don't tithe at the levels that we should. Right? Less than 3% of all African Americans, there are 25 million of us that go to black churches. Uh, there are 85,000 black churches. 25 million of us go uh, every Sunday to church. Less than 3% of us tithe. Right? Because 
because right. we are not into delayed gratification. No, we're instant, instant gratification. There, there's a mm-hmm. list of reasons as long as my arm on 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 why we are instant uh, addicted to instant gratification. Um, but but uh, uh, this is not a good thing. So uh, we have to fix this in the 21st century. So that means we have to deal with the psychology and the emotions of money and the four pillars for the intergenerational transfer of wealth. Because there's a very interesting article on the front page of USA Today not long ago. And here's what it said about African-American baby boomers. It said African-American baby boomers will be the first generation of Africans in America to raise another generation that will not do better than them. So in the 400-year history of our people in this country, we are the only generation to raise another generation that will be worse off. So our ancestors must be rolling over in their graves. So we have to fix that. We cannot allow that to happen. And then again, all the statistics point to the fact that unless we make a choice to educate ourselves and to become financially literate, we will end up by 2053, according to the Institute of Policy Studies and other studies, broke with no money in economic and financial slavery. Mm. So, the predictions are there. So, it's up to us. No one will fix us but us. Now, mm-hmm. um, now, whoever's listening, you could say, well, really, the system has to be fixed. The systemic inequalities in the institutions and the system that leave us out. Well, no one can argue that. Absolutely. But if you're going to wait for the system to do it, of which, of course, has been talked about for at least 30 or 40 years, that means that another two to three generations of our people will fall through the economic cracks. I ain't waiting for the system. And I don't advise anybody listening to you to wait until the system is fixed. I say fix you first. And do the things that are necessary to take you and your family to an economic level that is at least respectable. Or we will have no power and no money in a market-based economy and a democratic capitalistic society, which means that we will be enslaved again. Now, it ain't. It won't be the same kind of slavery, right? No one will be, um, uh, you know, uh, whooping us and, and 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 raping our women. No one won't be that, right? Uh, it'll be a different kind of slavery, but nonetheless, just as egregious. And the impact, uh, the same. How do we begin this uh, teaching generations about how to acquire wealth? I know you have the Wings program that mm-hmm. uh, looks amazing. But secular and non-secular in, in right. teaching. It's right. What inspired well, that? Yeah. I'm sorry, say it again? How were you inspired 
to do um, a draft of the WINGS program and now implement it? Oh, I've already, I've been working on it for two and a half years, developing the infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. And I certainly am clear that if you want to improve something, you've got to look for ways to build better systems. We need a system. We're not short of ideas. Um, we have plenty of ideas. Black people are uh, the most creative people in America. This is this is why jazz was created by us because it's improvisation. It's ideas on the spot, right? We don't need no damn sheet music, right? Uh, we can make it up as we go along. So we have plenty of ideas. We're just very bad at building systems. I happen to be masterful at building systems because I worked for major white companies like Procter and Gamble for 13 years who understood how to brand and how to market and how to build systems. So, WINGS, which is an acronym for Wealth in the Name of God and His Son, uh, if you are non-secular, if you are secular, it means Wealth in the Name of Good Sense. WINGS Financial Education Centers. Uh, There are 85,000 black churches in America. About 15,000 of them have wealth ministries. Um, I've spoken in about 120 of those wealth ministries over the years. Uh, They are uh, poorly equipped, uh, but most importantly, they do not have the proper credentials and training, uh, and and most of the lay wealth ministers uh, may have some financial service skills, but uh, almost all of them are not trained uh, or certified in financial education instruction, right? Therein lies the key. You must, right? Because you can read doesn't mean that you can teach reading. Because uh, you can do math doesn't mean that you can teach math. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player to have ever played basketball. He was a student of the game. But he would be fired as a coach of his own team that he owned because he couldn't teach basketball. But Phil Jackson was a mediocre basketball player, but he has 12 rings, 9 from coaching. Right? So, uh, because you have the skill, doesn't mean that you can teach the skill. So, everyone that will be a, a, a director of our wing centers around the country, it's a licensing program, to the, it's the faith-based uh, uh, community, both, both secular and non-secular, uh, will not only have to be licensed in a financial service, I don't care what it is, but they need to uh, be, they need to be certified in financial education instruction. That in fact is the is the difference, and they need to go through training on how to teach our people. Um, I have uh, two charter schools, about three hundred students. Mm-hmm. You still there? Yeah. 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 Right. And uh, I've had them for fifteen years, and you cannot teach basic math in my mm-hmm. schools without certification in teaching right. math. I don't care if you know advanced calculus, right? Two different things. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, so we're going to roll out uh, the Wings program uh, at the Power Networking Conference. For anybody interested uh, uh, in joining us at the Power Networking Conference, just uh, visit the PowerNetworkingConference.com, PowerNetworkingConference.com. PowerNetworkingConference.com, and you'll see all about the Power Networking Conference, but we will be focusing on rolling out Fraser Nation, Citizens of Generational Wealth, Excellence, uh, Excellence, Equity, and Entrepreneurial Thinking, and rolling out our WINGS Financial Education Centers, uh, uh, 
um, in both the secular and non-secular community, and it's all been structured, it's all been laid out. Uh, it is very exciting. So I'm excited about mm-hmm. this. This is my, at 73 years old, this is my final act. Uh, the goal is to uh, install 10,000 Wings Financial Education Centers over the next uh, t- uh, 10 years, 10 to 12 years into our faith-based community, churches. Now, these um, programs cover the accelerated debt reduction, stock marketing, entrepreneurship, and real estate, financial planning, saving for college, retirement, and youth financial training. I wanted to focus on youth financial training. It's so important to get young people because their minds are a little more open. You know, right. you can get somebody like eight or nine or ten years old. We have a K. Idea. Yeah. That's right. We that's right. You, right. We have a K through eight curriculum mm-hmm. to, that can be installed in, in schools. We've installed it in my charter schools, and we start teaching financial literacy in kindergarten. Wow, that's beautiful. In kindergarten. So, to your point, you're exactly right. The earlier, the better. Mm-hmm. I but, wanted to ask you something, because some people are going to say, now wait a minute, my kids are in the traditional schools, yada, yada, yada. Well, you're not taking the place of what people may say the traditional school, right? Right, right. Well, at some point in time, there will be a wing center. Remember, it's not one wing center per city. It's one wing center for every church in black America, yeah. right? And who's the market for every church? Your congregation. We're not asking mm-hmm. you to market your wing center to the entire community. No. Save your congregation. Period. End of sentence. Amen. The right? educational system in general, though, and I'm, I'm thinking that my audience would think, the traditional educational system that we go to, that teaches us for, you know, K-12 all the way up to, um, you know, we get to a college situation, do you feel that in our colleges that the WINGS program, especially in our uh, HBCUs, could be utilized there? Absolutely. When you start thinking about this, and you start thinking of the application, you see the simplicity and the elegance uh, and the comprehensiveness, quite frankly, of Mm -hmm. WINGS Financial Education Centers. uh, you will see a million applications for it. Right before I got on the call with you, I was talking to the president of Phi Beta Sigma, my fraternity. He wants to institute uh, uh, the uh, Wings Center program in every Phi Beta Sigma chapter in America. There are 8,000 of them. Wow. Right? So, so what's the point here? Here's the point. So I'll say this in a bold way. There should never, ever be again when black folks wear and when black folk meet that we are not talking about money. At every institution, social or civic or fraternal or sorority, should have a financial literacy program. Everyone. Everyone. Right. It doesn't mean right, that the only yeah doesn't mean that the only agenda item is financial literacy or economic development. No, no. All you know, there are many agendas uh, for our institutions and, and organizations. But 
that if you if you took inventory of you know black people professional blacks are organized around every professional discipline in America for black lawyers black fraternity uh, black uh, uh, doctors black dentists I mean you name it black rocket scientists we have a, we have an organization for it right. If you look at the agenda, they meet, you know, you know, six to, you know, eight times a year. Uh, they have, you know, separate chapter meetings. Uh, and you look at the agenda at those chapter meetings, seldom will you see anything about money. Right. We don't talk right. about money. We don't talk about the Black Caucus Foundation. No, I've been speaking yeah. to the Black Caucus for 41 years. I, I've been I've been there on a panel too. I, I've not seen right. anything. But we don't talk about well. No, right, exactly. Uh, for forty-one years, I was the only person at the Black Caucus talking about money. That's crazy. It definitely. We live is. in a right. We live in a market-based economy in a democratic, capitalistic society. We cannot be financially illiterate. That's crazy. Because if you are, we're going to end up where they're predicting we will end up. Right? In financial right. and economic slavery without any wealth. That's clear. That's not just hype. That's not me saying it. That's not me making up some statistics. Google um, wealth, uh, an economic gap between blacks and whites. There'll be a thousand statistics reports and articles on it. Right. This is our time. Right. Mm hmm. And we have to do something about it. And we Where have to. can we get more information, not only on your WINGS program, but uh, your Power Networking Conference? What are the websites for that? PowerNetworkingConference.com. www.PowerNetworkingConference.com. Everything you want to know about the conference is on the site. We are a training conference, and the only thing we talk about is business and money. Amen. I wanted to, um, in the conversation with this, we as African Americans and people in general, but mostly African Americans, we're, we're reactionary to the things that seemingly go wrong, but it seems to me we give away our power when we're not focusing on the solutions. And you're, you talked about solutions for the black community, but that education is going to be, as you say, um, something for people who are born within, say, the last 50 years, mm. and especially people who don't know that there were prosperous black businesses back in the day, like Motown, mm -hmm. Industrial Bank, and, you know, there's been many other, you know, we, we even have um, Vince Chilligal, who's been around for over 50 Three years, you know, you've got a lot of things. I'm, I'm sure even in Ohio, uh, black base. Um, don't you think that there should be more education so people can see something tangible within their own region? Hey, this has been around this long, and this is a reason why. You know, yeah. the, you know. Uh, well, I, I think have that. I, I think once the once financial literacy or economic development becomes one of the top items on our editorial thematic discussion agenda, and it isn't, but it's getting up there, all of that will come to light, right? It has to be a priority conversation. 
right? So, right. But right now, right. the priority conversation is Black Lives Matter. I understand that, and I'm not poo-pooing that, right? But that's the number one conversation, right? Fighting for our lives, making sure that our children get home safe. That's what everything is focused on. We're not focused on money and financial literacy, right? And, um, but that is inching its way up the ladder. And when that becomes a top two, no, no, no less than a top three priority, right, subject matter, mm-hmm. right, all of those things that you just said will come to service. So wow. my job and your job is to push it up the agenda. That's a lot easier said than done. Right. But the time is now. Right. Why? Because you will you will never change that which you tolerate, and you will only change when you get angry. You will never the people people will not change when they see uh, the light. People will change when they feel the heat. And right now, black people are feeling the heat. And my my job is to make black people angry. Right? We gotta make, let me say that differently. Um, you will change your shoes when your feet hurt. Right. So, being at the bottom of every economic statistic in America, and again, we came over here on the Mayflower, obviously, um, we were not angry enough to change it. We were angry that we wanted a seat on the bus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were angry we wanted to be able to get into any college that we wanted to get into, right? It was a classic debate that the boy had with Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington said, forget all that crap. Cast your buckets down. Develop mm-hmm. a skill. Start and build a business. Build your economic base. And only then will America take notice. Sounds like what Jewish people said. <laughs> and America has taken notice. This is great information. I thank you so much for being back with us. And I'm hoping that you'll we'll come back as the, the program grows. And uh, there, I'm sure, will be much more uh, that we need to hear about. Because I mean, it's, it's, it's evolving. It's always evolving. You know, what's going on in the marketplace today and, and with jobs for everybody. The middle class is, is disappearing. That's right. Absolutely. For everybody. That's right. For everyone. Right. You know, but, it, but of course, you know, like you said, if it hits black folk, it, it, you know, right. we're mostly in, in double digits in right. the unemployment. I found out something, uh, George, that if a person, anyone, makes as little as $100, they are included in the pool of people that have, are gainfully employed. When you hear about these numbers, oh, it's a 4.5% unemployment rate. That girl that a ticket has just made $100, but they're considered employed, and they'll be added to that, that, that role. That's right. Oh. That's, That's insane. Of course it is. Absolutely. So let us pray, and I'm going to say this one more time, let us pray that in a hundred years, uh, the next Kanye West 
wasn't on a television program saying what this Kanye West said. Oh, right. we're economically and financially enslaved? Well, hell, that sounds like a choice. Well, mm -hmm. we have a choice right now. We're not there yet. Got 25, 30, 40 years, according to all of the uh, statisticians, the social solutions. What will we choose? Because it is a choice right, right now. Right. Does, does that make sense? Does that sound harsh? No, it sounds it sounds very real, very real. And um, you mentioned Kanye, and I cannot let you go without uh, saying, asking this one last question. He said that rappers before he said that you know black people were you know uh, you know by choice were were enslaved. Rappers they just love Donald Trump or they just love this person or they just love this other wealthy person. It doesn't even have to be forty five, but it could be anybody. And. <laughs> Most of what they rap about is that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Most, bling, bling. Not bling, all, bling. Most. bling, bling, baby. Huh? Rolls Royces mm -hmm. and Benzes. Bling, bling. Get it now. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. But he doesn't yeah. have that now. In fact, you no. know, he's not making the money he used to now. That's right. And, um, you know, so it's a different mindset. It's an instant gratification that many of these people like the Kanye's and others. You won't hear from them in probably about five or ten years. That's right. It'll be the well, new you see what they do. You see what they do with their money. You know, you know, one, one of the four pillars for the intergenerational transfer of wealth is the proper management of accumulated wealth. So that we can stop hearing about and reading about, uh, uh, you know, athletes who earn a hundred million dollars in ten years and within five years of retiring, they're either broke or in bankruptcy. That's the improper or dead. Yeah, that's the improper management of accumulated wealth. So, so many of these rappers who earn a big ton of money very, very quickly do not manage it well. They are into bling bling. They buy big gold necklaces and you know, big fancy cars and uh, you know. Uh, Wheels that cost fifteen thousand dollars for their car. You know, the improper management of accumulated wealth. Right. That's you know, that's that's that uh, you know is is destructive. You know, the uh, the the second um, the second pillar for the intergenerational transfer of wealth is real estate, but you cannot pass on a rent payment, either residential or commercial real estate. Real estate. What's the first thing God gave Adam? Real estate. What's the first thing God gave Isaac? Real estate. Real estate, baby. Real estate. Right? Now, that is the second pillar for the intergenerational transfer of wealth. The third pillar is business development. Creating work and jobs for your people because that's the only way to raise up the poor. Right? Um, but 90, 95% of black people have a job. And as I told you earlier, 60% of those 95% work for either a local, county, state, or the federal government. We have a good government mm -hmm. job, right? So, right? so business ownership. And we own the fewest number of businesses per capita of any cultural group in this country. And again, we came over here on the Mayflower. Right? And then the fourth pillar for the intergenerational transfer of wealth, a lot of people don't know this, is proper insurance. Proper insurance. Sixty percent of sixty percent of wealth transferred by white people 
historically has come through strategic and placement of proper insurance. Now, this was not available to us until 1967, but uh, proper insurance, because every, every valuable asset that you have uh, uh, must be insured. You cannot drive a car in America without insurance. You cannot own a home in America without insurance. Right? Uh, there was an article in Time magazine not long ago that said that more black people with insurance on their cell phone than on their lives and the lives of their children by a factor of ten. So we value our cell phone more than we value our lives. Now, those are the four pillars for the intergenerational transfer of wealth, which is attached to our profound and deep addiction of instant gratification over delayed gratification. And if you notice that the four pillars for the intergenerational transfer of wealth all require delayed gratification. Right. Right. So this ain't no joke. No, it isn't, and it's vitally important. That's why I'm glad I, you were able to talk with us this evening and uh, give your information. Again, Power Networking Conference is coming up. What day is this summer? July 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th. July 4th, for us, will be retitled Financial Interdependence Day. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. And it's going to be in Washington, D.C. this year. Yeah, yeah. Prince George's County, the National Harbor, Gaylord Hotel. Wonderful. We look forward to being there. Thanks so much, George, for being with us. It was awesome. Keep doing God's work. Love you. And uh, let's stay connected. Amen.